Wants are unlimited, but resources always limited. So, how do you distribute your limited resources between your competing and potentially unlimited wants to achieve a fulfilling outcome for your life? That is what we figure out on The Money Spot. I'm your host, Heather Katsonga Woodward, and in today's episode, Diana asks us about investing for children. Let's listen to her question. Hi, Heather. This is Diana. I just had my first baby. I'm 31 and married. Do you have any tips for how I can think about saving and investing for my baby? Thanks. Thank you for this question, Diana. This is an awesome time to be asking this question, i.e. when you've just had the baby. I also started planning for my first baby as soon as he was born. You'll be at an advantage if you start saving and investing for your children as soon as they're born, for sure. You need to balance what you can afford, obviously, with what you want to achieve for them. So firstly, decide what the goal is. What are you saving for? Are you saving for university? Are you saving for them to have a cushion in their retirement? Or are you doing it to reduce your own inheritance or their inheritance tax bill? Or do you want to help them buy their first home? So let's start with university first. University costs about £60,000 in total for three years. Uh, in tuition and living costs. For a three-year course, you'd be paying, say, 10000 a year for tuition and books and 10000 for living. Living costs can be higher or lower depending on whether you live at home or how close home is, uh, which city you're in, and so forth. So there's going to be a lot of variance in this figure. And £60,000 is a huge amount of money for most people. And this cost is likely to rise in the future, but it makes the maths like too complicated to think about possible future increases. So we'll ignore the increases for now. Option one for university savings, and I'm telling you what I've done myself, is if you can save £20,000 in a tax-free account, like a stocks and shares ISA, by the time your child's five years old, then you can stop putting money aside at that point, at age five, and this money will have a reasonable chance of growing to £60,000 by the time your child's 18 years old. How could you save this? Well, put £4,000 a year into there. I um, thought the number 4000 was kind of large, so you could target something like a round number, say 250 per month, which would be equivalent to just over £30 per week each for a two-income family. And because this sums to £3,000 a year, at the end of the financial year in about March, you'd hustle to throw that one extra £1,000 into the ISA before the financial year closes on 5 April. And if you can afford it, you could just do £335 per month and that would have the 4000 per year being saved. I have a couple of friends, actually only one friend I'm thinking of right now, who as soon as the tax year opens up, he throws the whole 4000 in. Good for him. He's got the cash flow and he says he's done the research and putting in the money lump sum at the beginning of the tax year actually gives you a little bit of an advantage in terms of the return you get 
rather than drip feeding it into the ISA over time. But we can't all afford that. So 250 per month and you hustle to get the 1000 in before the tax year ends or just 335 per month, preset what investments you want and forget about it. Option two for university savings is that instead of doing 4000 per year, and most people are unlikely to be able to afford this, the alternative is that you save £100 per month until age 18. And a lot more people can afford this. It's a, a number that's a lot more easy for someone to grasp them giving up in terms of the amount of disposable income they'll be unable to use for themselves. And with median household disposable income of 29400 that's the 2019 figure, it's equivalent to only about £12.50 per week each for a two-income family. And everyone spends that on like nothing. People waste that every week without realizing. Well, not me, but a lot of people do. So which option is better? I would say if you can afford it, option one of the 4000 for five years trumps option two because you give the money the best chance of growing. Equity markets are very volatile in the short run. So by saving the money early, you give that money a better chance of reaching your goal. That said, something is a lot better than nothing. Small savings do add up to large amounts over time. Your savings may be lower than you'd like to target, but you'll still be helping your kids out and helping them avoid that scourge of student debt. And I run the numbers and... If you go for option one of average £335 per month for five years, i.e. 40k per year for five years, then by the time your kid's 18, if you only get an inflation return, then you'd have about £33,000. If you get a 7% return, you'd have about £61,000. And if you'd manage to get an average 10% return, you'd have pretty close to 100k. 97500 is what I calculated. If you go with option two, in which you're saving £100 per month till they're 18, then if you only get 3% return, which is average inflation over time, uh, at age 18, they'll have about £29,000. So that's just 4000 less than in the first option. At a 7% return, you'd have £44,000. Now, this is a lot less than in the uh, 20k over five years option, in which they would have 61000 And if you get an average 10% return, you'd have £62,000 almost, which is a lot less than 100k, almost 40% less. So that option of saving the money early is a big winner because when you have the £100 per month, that last few years of savings just hasn't had time to grow. But when you've saved it upfront and then stopped saving, there is all that money growing for 13 years. So here are my caveats on saving through a junior ISA. When you save the money through the junior ISA, that money will be your kids when that kid hits age 18. And you might not be able to control how they spend that money. You may well have been saving for university, but your kid will be like, forget that, I'm getting a Jaguar. So think about how you think your kids will behave at that age. But putting it into the junior ISA means you're also not tempted to spend that money on other things that you need because once the money goes in, it can't be withdrawn until your child is 18. So 
One is a push for, you know, saving. The other is, well, are they going to be responsible when they're 18? Were you responsible when you were 18? I was responsible. And that's why I've decided to go the junior ISA route because I think I can mold my children to be the kind of responsible citizen that I think I was at 18. How can you avoid the junior ISA so you have more control over that money? Well, if you don't plan to use the full amount of your own ISA allowance, which is currently at about £20,000 a year, a great option would be to save an additional 4000 into your own ISA every year. If you are using your full ISA allowance, or at least more than 16000 so that you don't have the 4000 left, you can save the money into a regular taxable investment account. Either a portion of it goes into your ISA and the rest into a taxable savings account, And plan B of saving into a taxable account is actually a good option because you might end up not having to pay tax anyway. At the moment, the capital gains tax allowance in 2019-20 is 12,000. What this means is that you can actually sell something, make a gain or a profit of 12,000 pounds and not pay any tax. And if you save 4,000 across two investment accounts, so 2,000 into your own account, 2,000 into your husband's account, then you would have a combined 24,000 of capital gains tax-free money. That's if these allowances stay the same. They could go up or they could go down. But what you would do is that when your kid is going to university, you would each year sell just enough stock to fund that year's Uh, university education, which means you'd be very unlikely to hit the taxable kind of threshold. The risk, however, is that this threshold could fall or be completely removed, in which case you would end up paying more capital gains tax on the sale. But I think it's a sensible option despite that risk. And you have a fairly reasonable chance of reaching 18 years time and having you know, an allowance to sell something without paying tax immediately. Retirement. So some of us think saving for your kid's retirement is not a horrendously silly idea. If you followed option one for university savings, at age five, you'll have stopped doing that and might find that you have some spare money to open a retirement account. I just recently did this And your children won't have access to this money until they're 57 to 60, more likely 60. But if life hasn't worked, this will be a great cushion for them. I love talking about cushions because what's more comfortable than sitting on a big soft cushion? The beauty of investing in a retirement account is that for every pound you put in, the government puts in an extra 100 over 80. That is, if you save 100 pounds a month, you only need to... So if you only want to put in £100 a month, you put in 80 and you'd have the 100. If you do invest £100 per month, you'd have 125 because of the government top up. And for kids, you can put a maximum of 2,880 per year. That's £240 per month, which with the government top up will give you 3,600 a year. It's a lot of money. And the result of saving £100 a month is that... By age 60, just if, if you do £100 a month, forget about it. Do it until I assumed that you were still doing it when your kid is 60. They would have £3.6 million in their account. 
And if 60 feels like it's too far into the future, you can't, you don't even contemplating being alive when your kid is 60, then look at the numbers when your kid is age 30. You told me that you're 31 years old. So when your kid is 30, you'll be about 61. Realistically, you'll be alive. They would have at a 10% return, almost 170,000 pounds or at a 7% instead of 10%, 102,000 pounds. When they were 40, if you continued saving till they were 40, at a 10% return, they'd be hitting up against half a million pounds. So you'll find that the extra money you get from the government, although month to month feels like nothing, it actually makes a significant difference. By saving through the pension, based on a 7% return, in 2025, which is five years from now, you would have just over £9,000. But if you save into a regular account and you don't have the government top up, you'd have only 7400 So even over that five-year period, you've created, with the free money from the government, an almost 2000 gap. And that gap just keeps growing and growing. But... I wouldn't save into a child's retirement account unless you have the cash flow and are meeting your own goals. The best gift you can give your kid is independence. So make sure you're paying enough into your own retirement, that you're paying off your mortgage early, and you are ideally debt-free yourself, apart from your mortgage, of course. Some will be able to afford the full 240 per month into a pension and not feel it, but the rest of us have to work out what is realistic that's why I personally opted to go for the £100 a month from the age of five. But this decision will change with a change in my fortunes. But it's just good to put that idea out there. When you're listening to podcasts, they frequently talk about starting to save in your teens or your 20s. But then I thought, hang on a minute. What if I start to save for my kids' retirement when they're five? And because I'm putting an amount that I just completely don't feel... It's an excellent experiment. I will possibly be around when my kid is 50 and I'll see what it looks like to save £100 for 50 years. And I'll do a blog and podcast about it then as well. Ha ha. Now three, helping your kids buy a home. Something that a lot of parents want to do and something that a lot of parents find they have to do because without that help, their kid is never buying a property given the rate at which British houses are increasing in price. This is where the decisions get a little tricky for me. Some people will be able to afford funding university, helping their kids get ahead with retirement savings, and help them with a deposit on their home without compromising their lifestyle at all. But the rest of us need to make choices. And I was thinking about my kids go to private school. The balance or the folly of paying for private school when you could be paying for a home. What will make the biggest difference to my children or to your children? A private education or getting onto the property ladder? If you can afford one or the other, but not both, then you might follow the route of private primary school followed by state secondary school, grammar, school or comprehensive. In this case, you'd direct all the money you'd have spent on a private secondary school education into saving for a home. In some cases, this could mean your child starts life mortgage-free because they own the home like outright. I did a few calculations and if you save £15,000 a year, this is about £1,250 a month, 
Fantasy for most people, but if you are going to pay for private school, it's not fantasy. From the age of 11 until the age of 21, so that's 10 years of savings. And if that money grows at an average rate of 7%, how much money do you think your kid would have at 21? 220,000. Increasing to 260,000 if the average return over that same period of 10 years is 10%. That is not small money to most of us. If when I turned 21, my dad had given me that kind of money, I don't even know if I would have wanted to go to work. But anyway, if they were just helping me by buying the house rather than me seeing the cash, the outcome might be well different. You could use every last penny on a private education when at the end of the day, the thing that actually helps your child follow a life of fulfillment is being relatively debt-free. Because if you're debt-free, you can take the low-paying job that you're passionate about. You can be a violinist or some other career which is you know, fun and enjoyable and you have a passion for, but that you know from the outset is unlikely to make you very wealthy. If you do decide to go for a state education throughout, and these points are only being made to people who are debating between private school and state school and private school or state school and buying a home, then if you save a thousand pounds a month, so 12,000 pounds a year from age five, so if you save a thousand pounds from the point your child is five. So every month you save a thousand pounds per month until age 21. So 16 years of saving and it grows at an average rate of 7%. How much do you think they'd have at 21? I'll give you a few seconds to guess. 355,000 at a 7% return and increasing to 475,000, almost half a million pounds at a 10% return. Like, wow, forget the kids, do it for yourself. If you have already made this decision to send your children to a private primary and they're thriving, which I know you haven't, Diana, you're unlikely to reverse that decision, as I am very unwilling to because I can see how well they're developing. But if you're seeing these numbers or hearing these numbers before you've made any type of decision, you might well make a completely different decision. If you're not thinking about private school anyway and it's not in your sights, then the best choice might be to save as much as you can towards your own ISA allowance of 20000 a year, which is 40000 if it's a two-parent home. In addition to whatever you save towards your pension, I do a combination of pension and ISA, so 15%, 10% into your pension. And when the time comes, you can decide whether you can contribute towards university, a first home, or both. The best gift, as I've already said, you can give your kids is to not depend on them to make them not worry about you because I'm happy and I'm comfortable that my parents have looked after themselves and I'm not constantly every month thinking, how much can I send to mommy and daddy? You will, if you take care of yourself and focus on your saving, be able to bootstrap your kids onto the property ladder, even if you're just letting them stay at home. So if they can stay at home rent-free because you have paid off your mortgage and are not worried about the extra income, that would help them save a deposit pretty rapidly. And even without cash gifts, which is what we're talking about here, you will be giving your children a competitive advantage by teaching them how to handle money at an early age. So don't stress. If you can't save specifically for them, save for yourself, build the wealth for yourself, 
and you might surprise yourself with the kind of thing you can do for them when they need the money. And just keep in mind, it's not always going to be about money. Your moral support and all the other things parents bring to a life matter a lot to kids. So in summary, to wind this up, how can you save for your kids? You can do that by saving into a junior ISA or what you would have put into a junior ISA if you're scared that they won't save it uh, or they won't spend it properly when the time comes. You can save it into your own accounts and you can start thinking critically about whether you want to save into a retirement account when they're a little bit older and you can start thinking critically about whether you should start thinking about saving for their own home. Thank you for this question, Diana. I enjoyed writing about it because it is something I thought very deeply about when I first had children. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to ask me a question, read my blogs, or support this show in any way, please type themoneyspot.co.uk into your address bar and you'll be redirected to my personal website.